Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens. Come on. I mean, we might as well just go right into the beers. So uh, what you got? What you got? Okay, we got Alesmith Brewing Company, which is a local brewery here, but they're pretty well known. It is Tropical Marmalade Hazy IPA. So that's uh, um, brewed with Aloha and Sabro hops. So whatever that means, it is 7.1% alcohol. Okay. That sounds like a lot going on. Did you try it? I have not. I have not popped the top yet. So Tropical Marmalade sounds like it has a lot going on. Well, that is that is definitely me right now. There's a lot going on. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fitting. Let's see how it goes. Oh, the smell's very nice. It does smell like a hazy. There's a little bit of tropicalness to it there. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, okay. so it's a... Uh, it, you, get, you get the tropicalness in the aftertaste it's not overwhelming it's not overly strong uh but there's mm-hmm. a hint of it there so it's pretty good okay rock on rock on well i um we're recording this at a slightly different time because i have a commitment uh, after this podcast which means i can't get too tore up so as a result i'm just going with remember how uh, i think last week or whenever it was um recently i went to um total wine and i just needed to round out my beer fridge a little bit and i got just i just got some favorites that's all i wanted i went with scotches scotch uh, ales um and some quads which i may drink for the next podcast we'll see but the one i'm doing right now just something nice and simple i'm doing kilt lifter which is uh kind of one of my favorite mainstream beers if you want to call it that it's just a scottish style amber ale um it's from arizona uh somewhere in arizona Let's see. Four Peaks Brewing Company in Tempe. Um, yeah, man. Really, really dig it. Again, it pe- like people like Gary are going to listen to this right now. And they're going to be like, yeah, no shit, Kilt Lifter. Like, Have you done that one before? That one sounds familiar. Yes. Okay. Oh, I love Kilt. I, I don't think I've done it on the podcast, but I definitely had it when we did like Phoenix Comic Con. It is. Okay. It's very present in Phoenix because um, it's obviously so close. Okay. Right on. Cool. So, yeah, man. I mean, again, just, just good... Good 6% sipping. Scottish, uh, scotch, scotch amber ale. Oh, so yeah, 6%. You're party. good. That's, that's a nice, yeah. That's a nice little beer to get you loose for the pod. So it feels like so much less than what I'm used to drinking, though, because not only am I drinking these, have I been drinking these high powered um, stouts, but I've also been drinking huge cans of them, you know, 16 ounce or 19 ounce cans. That's what I had. The last time we did a podcast here and, uh, you know, I was a bit of a fucking idiot, you know, like I think Scott, Scott and I talked about this. I, I, I may have said it on air. I can't remember for our last podcast, but yeah, man, it, I definitely leaned on myself with the editing. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, the final product sounds great, Yeah, but b- boy, did I have to work hard to get to that. Plenty left <laughs> like on the we... cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yet another thing for that future Patreon of ours where we, <laughs> yeah. we're just, where we basically just put all of our completely uncensored shit and our garbage. Right. <laughs> how would, how would you not want to subscribe to a Patreon exactly. after that? <laughs> Why would you not want to give us five ninety nine a month? to uh, listen to the cutting room floor trash stuff. The, the uncensored shit in the garbage. That's yeah, right. Exactly. So, 
So with that, um, what was your first thing this week, man? Uh, so I finished another page of Wanders of Melisanda. That was rewarding because it. I got to tell you, man, it's been a little difficult getting back on track from vacation. So it's been a week. Um, we've been back a week, and it's been kind of tough. So I haven't been getting to my panel and a half a day. So honestly, it's been it's been a little rough rough go of it, which is unfortunate because right before vacation, I did those five pages, uh, five penciled pages in one day. So since I've been back, it's been a little tough. So um, part of part of that is trying to get back on track, and luckily I knocked another page out. So. We're at 11 total completed, um, but I also have another, so it's like 11, 11.75, so three out of four panels are done on this other page that I'm working on, so I'm hoping to knock that out tonight after we get off the podcast here, and then, you know, just staying on track, so so that's where I'm at right now, that was the first thing. That's, I mean, that's pretty normal, though. I remember we talked about this before the vacation, that you you work ahead, and then you catch up. And that's the price you pay for, I mean, that's, that's life. That's modern life right there. You know, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think people in 1585 had to deal with this kind of, uh, I, <laughs> I doth go on vacation. I don't know. How the fuck did people speak in 1585? <laughs> you know, like. They were just trying I, to survive I, to 22. I, exactly. I, I must not only hope that I reach my 23rd birthday, but I must work ahead on my smithing. <laughs> or whatever whatever the I'm fuck. Writing my, I don't know. I'm writing my novel. <laughs> That's when novels start. Writing... Yeah, exactly. I think I think I shall write a novel. <laughs> what what thy fuck is a novel? <laughs> That's pretty normal, man. And uh you know, actually when you just said I've been back for a week, I was like, get the fuck out of here. I can't believe that. You know what I mean? Like just feels like you got back like yesterday and that's always the way it is you know just the way it flies by like that yeah it's and it's honestly it's many a thing since we've been back um we've been to excuse me two viewings and one funeral so unfortunately we had uh two different family friends have their parents pass away one their dad the other one their mother so it was just like, all right, funeral on a Friday. And that was like, he was getting cremated. So there was no, it was the viewing slash funeral because there was no burial. And then gotcha. uh, and then Sunday and then Monday, more funeral stuff. So it's just like, yeah. it kind of takes its toll and it pretty much eats up the majority of your day. So I, that's also part of the process of this week was like, not as much got done as I would like to have, but life gets in the way sometimes and and these things happen and you know those things are more important so you those take priority yeah. and and it is what it is totally and i mean you know on, on paper b- before people you know people who don't haven't done funerals yet like you you could theoretically say that the funerals in the afternoon or the viewings in the afternoon and then you'll co- come home and get work done you are not getting work done you just hey you you got to take care of whatever you need to take care of whether you're being there for a friend whether you're there to pay your last respects to someone you care for um and that's just the way it goes man so my condolences i hope i hope they were nice i thought i hope they were pretty um i think we did talk about one of them actually so um but yeah and now now it's time for you to get back there and and yeah it not as as if you didn't have enough going on in your first week back right you know yeah. it's it's making it's making the train i mean you know champagne problems right like i can't work on my page today but uh but yeah you'll 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 make up for it you'll have a day 
probably tomorrow where you do four pages and all of a sudden your average still sustains. Yeah, that's right? the hope, man. Like I, I really do yeah. hope I get back on track with that. I really would like a couple of days where I'm doing nothing but working on the book. So we'll see how that goes. Like the weekends are just booked up like crazy, but I think tomorrow will be a nice day to where I can uh, really focus and, and try to catch back up to the point where I was before we left. Yeah, man. Yeah, I hear you. I how hear about you? you? What's your how, uh, oh, how many ahead, how many pages are you in Wonders right now? It seems like you're a fair amount in. How far in are you? Eleven point seven five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Out right. of twenty five. So more than halfway. No. Oh, I, 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 a little less. Yeah, I added I added three pages. I didn't realize it. Um, I it was twenty two pages, and I added three pages. So I've extended the book, and it's just better better storytelling. So that's the price to pay. So it, it is what it is. Those pages need to be in there. The story kind of was moving too quickly before those pages were added. So um, definitely wanted to put those beats in. And uh, you know, it's it's today Scott's problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> to use yeah, to use totally. uh, Gary's Gary's phrasing Gary. here. It was just yeah. like okay, you know, like. Scott doing the thumbnails didn't give a shit about Scott drawing the actual pages. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm dealing with it now and it's fine. You know, you got to do what you got to do. That's the only way to get these books done is you got to draw them and uh, you want them to make sense. And if you see the problems before they happen, then take care of them. You know, this is going back to the other week where you're talking about your novel. If you got a problem in act three, your problem's really in act two. So I don't want to draw the book and people go, hey, this kind of didn't make any sense. Like, this was too quick. It's just like, yeah, I already saw that problem. So I had to nip it in the bud and uh, uh, fix it before we got there. It's always good, man. That's that's time and um, experience. And then you just, you you know, the, with more time and experience, you get the eyes and you get the vision and you're able to address that. So that's good, man. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of interesting because on last podcast, I believe I talked about how I ended up did I did end up on this is not my first thing but on Kadoja I ended up taking Mike's note which I believe I talked about quote on the air last week and uh, shed two pages from my story it ended up being two pages that I shed and you you gained them and it reminds me of something I have we ever talked about this bullshit thing that I I have this theory of uh, of that that the universe has a net weight that will never change. So, like, if you lose 10 pounds, then someone somewhere mysteriously put 10 pounds on. Uh, <laughs> they, they must have went on vacation where I went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, like, but then you could start to get cosmic with it. And you're like, what would happen? Like, matter can neither be, may, maybe there's some science people out there. Matter can neither be created nor destroyed, right? Which would mean that even if you lose weight, the weight of the earth doesn't change, you know? Like, if everybody lost weight, wouldn't the earth get lighter? But no, it wouldn't, because you're probably sweating out water or doing whatever, you know, bodily functions, and the weight of the planet isn't changing. That's interesting. That's just shit I think about. That's interesting (laughs) in itself. That's something like, if you went further and deeper into that, I'm sure you can find a thread there. I mean, that's a thread in itself, but you can find something to glam onto and create a story out of that. Like, that would be a very interesting sure. story if you think, if you could find something, you know, like, yeah, okay, yeah. you know, that that could be the premise of the story right there. That could be the beginning of it. And then yeah. that takes you through whatever the main story is. And then it dovetails at the end where it completes that thought. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. actions of that character, something happens to that character where, you know, let's pick something, they die, but then they get, um, you know, 
like like let's say the main character is a bad person they get killed and then they get eaten by insects essentially so they're giving back to the earth so even mm-hmm. though you die and go away you never really go away you get redistributed yeah man yeah man that's, that's you know that's what neat. that's kind of funny because it's uh it's something we had just talked about at one of the funerals um daniela brought up like oh did you tell them what you want when you die and i was like no of course i didn't tell them that it's like oh you don't just go randomly tell people that especially when like when their dad <laughs> just died but um yeah so they're like oh well i'm really curious what do you want when you die and um i had read or heard something neil degrasse tyson had said um when you cremate yourself you that is the only time you do not give back to the earth you are you are destroyed you are destroying your matter you're going up into the ether you're it's nothing you're not giving back to the earth so i didn't Mm -hmm. like that but i but because i've always wanted to be cremated because i didn't want people to feel obligated to go visit my grave yeah. I was like, I don't like that. I don't like the obligation of it. If you want to do it, I want you to do it. But then there's a lot of people out there that are just going to be feel guilty. So I don't want that. And then after I heard that, I was like, well, fuck. Well, I don't, I want to give back. I don't want to be cremated then. So what's the option? So I saw something about like life pods where essentially you're kind of put in this giant seed looking thing, put in like a, a, a what's the, the infant pose essentially. And then um, they bury you and you bury you with seeds or whatever. And you basically turn into a tree. Your body, you know, decomposes mm. and you are redistributed, you know, your minerals and all that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, that's kind of the, the most awesome thing in the world to do. But uh, my spin on it, which I th- thought was a funny joke, was um, stick some apple seeds in my ass and bury me upside down. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah okay so i you're you're just opening a can of thought that i need to that i need to empty out a little bit that is a story idea it like like if you start to think that trees are actually inhabited reincarnations that can get fucking wild you know what i mean um that's thing number one thing number two is uh the the way that i would like to 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 go uh when when i'm when i'm gone do you know what it is no it's a Viking funeral, mother. Oh fuck! Did you tell me that? Because I was after you said I was like that sounds like something you might have told me already. Yeah, I my family. I, I repeatedly tell my family this. You know, although although it is worth mentioning that there's a wild one out there for the record junkies, which is you can actually get your ashes pressed into records. What? You can be you can be and and you can record a message, or you can put music on it, or you can do whatever you want. I am sort of mesmerized by the idea Dude, of just amazing. making like. I know, like this podcast, like just take our best podcast and then press it on vinyl and make it like a limited edition of 20. (laughs) That'd be so fucking cool, man. (laughs) In fact, this conversation, let's just get meta about it. Right, right, right. (laughs) But anyway, anyway, yeah. So those two were, I I heard that one and I was like, at first I was like, that's, that's fucked up. And I was like, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of awesome at the same time. Well, if you do the Viking funeral, you better tell Eden to start practicing some archery. Archery, exactly. exactly. I have a friend that's. I know, I know. I need to fit fencing in this somehow. Anyway, um, so yeah, yeah. My comic thing. Let's get let's get to comics. So comics. So the reason why you guys are here, not how we die <laughs> and how we get buried. Yeah, this is not called uh, ruminations on on burial methods. I mean, let's face um, it. You guys are seventy three episodes in now. You know what you signed up for. You know what you exactly exactly. You damn well know what you signed up for. We'll give you your money back. Oh, that's right, it's free. Every every um, penny you've put in. <laughs> every every exactly. Unless you've backed our Kickstarters, because you can't have that back. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you got great product for <laughs> you that. Got great so product. You, that that was that was a that was a deal. Absolutely. Okay, so for me, there were there were two. I'm going to lump my first two kind of smaller things into one thing, which is I did I finished up. So this is Kadoja. We're going to talk Kadoja first, and that I. I did go ahead and finish up the script to issue two, to Symphony of Madness issue two. I think when we talked last, I was ready to put in a lot of the changes. I had read them. I just hadn't had time to, you know, do the whole thing. And so I, I did did all of them with the exception of one, which is a scene that Mike and I still need to work through that hasn't changed from last week. But I did send the script off to the artist and I said, hey, you know, you can get going on this. And then he responded back and he said, actually, so much time has passed that you know, the window has been closed temporarily. So when I when I added, when I saw the first email, I was like, oh shit, is he not able to do it? No, that's not the case. He just took other work and he's going to be able to come back to it in like three weeks. So okay. not, a, not a big deal. I'm not in a hurry. You know, I, I think we've talked, we've definitely talked about this before that, you know, we're probably going to do the Kickstarter for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one sometime in May, I'm thinking, like late May. Um, and... My thing that I like to do is make sure that the next issue is being worked on. That's it. So that'll definitely check all those boxes. And I get the feeling he's a pretty fast worker. Once he does this stuff, I think he's going to start it and finish it quite quickly. Um, so that was the first thing that, uh, yeah, a little, a little bit of, uh, you know, missed ships. But that's okay. I don't mind at all. I'm, I'm happy that he's still doing it. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what the interiors are. Because now the issue's ready to go pretty much with the exception of one scene. And then the second thing is that I had a revelation on who the cover artist is going to be for, um, for the second, for the fourth arc. It's me. I'm going to be the cover artist. Oh, interesting. And, and here, and he, well, here's why. Here's what I'm going to do. Lance Pilgrim was the cover artist for the first two arcs. Okay. The first 10 covers. Lance's Lance did not draw. If he drew something, then I, I don't remember what it was. Lance, Lance's background is in collage. And so if you know your Kadoja covers, like for any Kadoja cover you out, you have out there for people out there that have Kadoja, and you have single issues, take a look at the cover and then play the game of where did Lance get that from the interiors of this issue? And what you'll find is everything is pulled from the interiors of the issue he's working from. And he may do a, a little bit extra art there, but not a whole lot. You know, um, again, I, I mean, not that he's not a great freehand drawer. He can draw, you know, but um, but when it comes to this, like he he went with a collage art style and then did like great color treatments. So I'm going to I'm going to do that, too. OK. And nice. um, because who who better understands my aesthetic than me? So, you know, it's going to be trial and error. It's not going to be pretty. Um, but the good news is I'm going to share it on this podcast. I'm going to document it on this podcast as I go forward with it. And I have time and I already have an idea of where, what I want the first issue cover to be. And then of course, when we do Kickstarters, we'll still have alternates and things like that. So yeah, yeah, it was a nice moment. I've already bounced a few ideas off Mike, which is kind of funny. One, one random note about that is um, in, in the first symphony of madness issue, there is a really, really, I think badass reveal at the end of it. You know, I mean, that's that's what you want in any comic. In any comic, you want a badass reveal. I don't think you want to go back to that well too too much, but it's always nice. How about this? It's always nice when a comic ends with a really cool reveal or a really cool moment. And I think this is a really cool moment. And I asked Mike, like, is it is it standard practice in comics? You know, like comic covers are supposed to encapsulate the vibe of the issue. 
And ideally, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're using art of the issue, then even that that works too. But they almost never encompass like the wow moment. And uh, and that's what I asked him. I'm like, this is kind of the wow moment. Like, is this something I can put on the cover because it's my favorite piece of art from the whole issue? And he's like, no, no, don't do that. Save it for the people in the interior. And that that was where I was going anyway. But Mike and I had also just gone back and forth in the Three Protectors Kickstarter because they wanted me to share more of the 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 big moments in the book. Um, and a lot of the big moments in the book are quite violent. And uh, I'm happy to say, and, and at one point I finally like dug in and I'm like, these two, I can't, I'm not putting, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to share them. I want people to enjoy that moment when they come to it in the story and go from there. And, uh, you know, look, I was outvoted one to two, but I still got to say, cause you know, it's your book. I, I wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah, book. exactly. Um, and so, Hey, in the Kickstarter funded, which I don't think we've talked about live yet. Cause this is the first podcast we've done after that, but, uh, yeah, man funded. So that's always nice. And, uh, we go onward and, uh, we see what happens from there. And now I get to do all the fun delivery stuff and get the books ordered and all that stuff. So, so really, really great. But yeah, just two fun things on Kadoja there as we, uh, get ready to do the Kickstarter for the first issue and get the art underway for the the second issue yeah congrats on that kickstarter victory man that's freaking awesome so. um yeah i know you were having a rough go of it initially but then just out of nowhere it turned the corner and boom got funded so that's amazing yeah, and uh always, always nice always gl- always glad to see it always nice for sure yeah okay so my second thing um i have i had commissions piling up so i was able to knock a couple of them out so that was good you know like with the struggle on finishing panels per day um, it was nice to have completion of certain items and things that were on my plate, having stuff taken off my plate. So uh, my my uh, client that I work with regularly um, is Pro Wrestling Loot. And so I had drawn two more wrestlers for their toy line. And I actually have one more to go for them. Uh, but I also have a client that I worked with before to do his own Lucha mask. He wanted me to create a Lucha mask for him, which I did. And so he's back, and now he wants some gear. So I have to start on that this week. He's been waiting for about a month and a half, maybe two. And so he's been a bit on the back burner because uh, I was on such a roll with Wanderers of Melisande. I didn't want to slow down. And then I knew I had the pro wrestling loot stuff that I had to do as well. So, But he's been very patient. He's been very cool. So that will be tackled this week. And um, I'm going to work on Wanderers for the rest of the night. I want to knock out one more page before I start on this guy's stuff. But he was pretty easy last time I dealt with him. He gave me some ideas. I threw like two or three ideas at him, like roughs and, um, you know, just minor tweaks. And then we're off to the races and it was done. So uh, here's to hoping that he's just as easy when it comes to gear design. But, um, you know, me being a former wrestler, I think that helps. Like I know wrestling aesthetic so it's kind of easy to guess what a luchador would want. You know, like I could tell the style he's going for. So it's easy for me to go like, okay, I can I can duplicate that. Not duplicate that, but I could replicate it in a way where it is all his own. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right, that's cool, man. Yeah, so that, that brings us to my second thing. And this is a smaller thing. It kind of stems, I guess, goes out from the uh, the three protectors kickstarter but by the three protectors kickstarter funding that means that there's a little bit more work that i need to do i think i talked about it on one of the podcasts but uh one of the things and i think the master tier and above that that we're doing is we're doing an ash can 
And that ash can is going to be a whole bunch of pages from version one of Three Protectors. And that's, you know, so what I did was I wrote the copy for that. Um, I had already selected the pages. Again, it's a good chunk of pages. Like at minimum, it's like 26 pages. And I think it might be upwards of 30 of pages that did not make it to the final version of Three Protectors. Because again, the the version that's going to get sent out to the world is the seventh draft of this thing. So we are going all the way back to the first draft with a whole lot of art by Rory Smith and a visit to a totally different comic. You know, um, the the battle scenes from the first version of the comic are pretty much unchanged when when you translate them. I mean, the color is different um, and we did the different treatment through Lance and all that stuff. But, you know, the art is the same for, for the battle scenes. It was everything was about the setup to the battle. And so what I found was I had, you know, I don't know, six or seven scenes of stuff that uh, that were there. And what I wanted to try to do was tell, you know, figure out how to reconstruct the narrative to have people understand what version one was. And uh, I think we did that. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I actually sent it off to Lance this morning and Lance said that he would just do some treatments on it real quick, you know, just turn it into like grayscale stuff. I think we're not going to put the official three protectors, you know, black and white with spot red on it, but we're just going to make it gray because it's an ash can. And, uh, and then he'll, you know, take my stuff and put it into fonts that are appropriate in the three protectors universe. And then we'll include it with all the Kickstarters, uh, the people who backed it. So again, it was a higher tier that people had to get. I think you, you backed that tier. Yep. If I yeah. Remember, master right? tier. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'll be getting it. And, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm hoping that it offers some nice insight into it. Who knows? I might even include a few script pages because it's meant to be a document, a document of the of a prior version and uh, something that might be able to help comic creators out there like like the people that listen to this podcast and, and could, would enjoy some insight into the comic making process. You know, when it comes to DVDs, I always find deleted scenes enlightening and uh, I, I am imagining other people do. But boy, do you learn a lot from the deleted scenes in a movie? Um Sometimes, most of the time, they are in fact like fluff, you know, where where you understand why they were cut. But then other times, you're like, yeah, I, I'm not sure why this wasn't included, you know. And sometimes, what you'll even have is you'll have a hierarchy of deleted scenes on a DVD, where you'll have some that were clearly filmed, you know, with the same production values and effects and all that. They were they were cut late, but there are some scenes that were cut early. And so what they'll do is it'll just be like two actors in front of a green screen. And you'll get the scene because that was the furthest they ever went with it before they decided to cut it. And again, those things can be very, very insightful um, in terms of not just making movies, but making stories. Really, really, really interesting. And I hope that this ash can, you know, has an iota of that in it uh, for the people that backed it. And then you get the uh, Star Wars special edition where they digitize Jabba the Hutt and Han Solo and they put the scene back into the movie and you go like, why? Why'd you put this back into the movie? It was cut for a reason. (laughs) And that was, and then the original version, if you guys haven't seen it, it is, it's just a fat dude wearing something crazy because they didn't know what Jabba looked like at that point. So uh, they didn't have Jabba. So they just like put CG, (laughs) CG over the top of that guy and use the same scene where Han is walking around him. It's just, it's awful. Anyway, actually, I thought Jabba was a dude in the first iteration. 
that that they it w- again maybe I- oh i didn't i didn't know i thought they just didn't know i didn't know that was actually supposed to be him okay i think he was a dude okay yeah i think okay. he was a dude um although it, it is time for me so first of all two things about that scene one take your shot the 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 part where Han supposedly walks over the tail of Jabba the Hutt yeah. is one of the most awkward, stupid looking things. Yes. Right. Um, and then the second thing is whatever amount they spent. I think this must have been at least a million dollars. Right. Just a million dollars for a gratuitous shot of Boba Fett nodding at the camera. <laughs> so worth it. So fucking worth it. I love it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm on record. I love Boba Fett. Worth but, every one of their pennies. Worth every one of their pennies. Just because if I remember right, that becomes the only moment where Boba Fett is in A New Hope. And so, you know, now the movies get to collect all the Boba Fetts. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. We're like, hey, guys, we got a million dollars left over. What do we do? Ah, put Boba Fett in one of the scenes and just have him look at the camera and nod for, for nothing and do nothing else. <laughs> you know, perfect. <laughs> perfect. So, yeah. Yeah, that that's a that's a great mention of a scene where it just seems sort of awkward and pointless. And uh, yeah, it was just fine with without it. Um, do you have anything else, man? No, man. Uh, yeah, I just I okay. got my two things. Good. Okay, and I mean, even better. We went on a huge rant about you know what happens after death, and people got to drink heavily for the Star Wars part. There you go. So uh, so yeah, big moves by us. Big moves by us. So we're gonna move on to the main part of the episode. And uh, we're going to see where it goes here. We just thought of this today. I think it's a pretty interesting idea. And we could we could go a lot of places with it. But it's the idea of balance. And balance can mean a whole lot of things. And what we're going to do is we're just going to start, Scott, with your thoughts on what you think of when you think of balance on the artistic side. And then I can talk about balance on the writing side, at least uh, how I start thinking about it. And then we'll go from there. You know, it's so funny because before we started recording this episode, I thought I was the host. So I was like, man, I got to talk about this. So I was really thinking about what to say. And basically how you started off is how I was going to start it off. Um, Balance could be many things and many departments when it comes to making comics. So knowing that you're going to take the writer end of it, I had very little about that, but I'll I'll leave that to you. And, uh, you know, if I got something to say, I'll chime in, obviously. But balance comes from uh let's see let's let's start with lettering for instance so when i think of balance when it comes to lettering it's balloon placement you know like how you orchestrate your balloon placement onto your page you know there needs to be a balance there needs to be a flow if your flow's off people have difficulty reading the page and that's a problem you know that's why lettering is an art form in itself it's something that i've appreciated more over the years especially that i've been doing the primary lettering on second shift and wanders of milisanda um so you know make sure when you're doing your lettering there is balance to everything that you're doing you don't want your you know and and this this is something where your writer has to also be aware of what they're doing and what they're putting onto the page because your page can easily become overcluttered if there's way too much dialogue on that page. So, but your job as the letter is to figure it out, you know, like they decide what's on there. So you need, need to make sure there's balance to what you're doing. You know, if it's slightly cluttered and that's the best you can do, that's better than it being fully cluttered if uh, you have a lot on there. So it's just uh, the process of that looking where your placement is and uh, if, if the flow is good. So that's that's the first thing I thought of. Uh, second thing is coloring. Coloring, I'm I'm not 
a colorist, so I don't have a ton to say about this. But it's uh, I would say it's the balance between warm and cool colors. Um, those colors on a page can direct the eye where it needs to go. And uh, just the overall balance of the page coming with those warms and those cools, uh, depending what your scenes are. Um, do you can I can I raise my hand on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've I feel like I've read I'm not going to say a fair amount of comics, but a few comics where there is no balance of color, where it feels like they go really heavy in. Again, I'm not a color expert, but let's just say purple, blue, and green, or something like that, where there's not limited there's not palettes. Balance. Yeah, limited yeah. palettes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, is that is that a thing? Is that just a choice people can make? Is it an example of doing something maybe against the rules because fuck the rules, they don't matter? You know, where where, where are you on that? It's What's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a used technique. Um, limited com- color uh, palettes is is used a lot these days, and there's a balance in that in itself. You know, where you're placing those certain colors, those greens, those blues, and those can pop out certain panels certain scenes like just part of a panel so it's all intentional um the hope is it's all intentional when you're coloring these pages so um yeah but that's definitely a thing the the limited palette is is definitely proficient or it's it's all over the place these days so uh yeah i'm I'm not overly schooled in coloring so i would say that's Mm -hmm. the limited amount that i do have to say with it um but it's just when i when i say balance it's does it work for your book? Like, is the flow there for your book? You know what I mean? Like, if you're in the desert and it's daytime, obviously you're not going to have a ton of cool colors. You know, the only cool color might be the character's clothing, and even that is going to have a warm tinge on it. You know, you're going to have an overlay or something like that. But, um, you know, it's just the flow of the page. You know, is is your color scheme working for the page? And, um, you know, it's up to the colors to decide that. And um, also the audience, like, you know, when you see those, when you see books like that, does it work for you? And most, most of the time, if you have a competent color, it does. Um, going into the art side of it, uh, the act of balancing your page, you know, just like I talked about with coloring and lettering, you have to balance your page. So uh, when it comes to art, your character placement, your character placement is huge per panel. Um, and overall, your composition includes where you're placing those characters in those panels you know you look at your page as a whole you know is is it flowing is it moving is it directing you know the top panel to the next panel so on and so forth um also your camera direction that's something else that needs to be balanced that's huge you know you uh this is something i've talked about before you can't have too many mid shots you can't have too much of the same style shots per page. You know, you have to have a close-up. You know, uh, a, a distant shot, a medium shot, a shot from under, a shot from above, like a, a profile, a three-quarter. Th- those are things that you want to vary. And if you don't, there's no balance to that page. Like it's it's very one note. And usually, what you'll see in beginning artists is a lot of mid shots. You know, it's just like. They're rough. All the characters are roughly about the same size per panel. So, you know, if you guys are working on your own books now, look at the pages that you've done. You know, how have you varied your panels in those pages that you've completed? Have you changed it up? Have you uh, gone in really close? Have you gone really far? You know, what's your directions like? Or have you made the mistake of everything is roughly about a mid shot? You know, and I'm talking like a minuscule difference, you know, like. 
I mean, I, I can't give you an exact size, but you'll you'll know it when you see it. If you look at your page and all of your characters and all of your panels are roughly around the same size, that's not a good balance. Uh, yeah. Granted, they're balanced through all the panels because they're all the same size, but that's not what you want. The balance is in changing your shot because that's more interesting. Uh, amount of background per page. You know, it's you don't you don't want to overclutter your page with too much detail in the background on every single panel. You know, as I've talked before, you have your establishing shot panel, and that's not only for the first panel in changing the scene, but it also is per page. You want to have at least one anchor panel that is uh, chalk filled of background detail just to remind your readers where you are in the story. So I just read uh, since since we hung out last, I gorged. In one sitting, actually, the first five issues of Time Before Time. Oh, nice. Which, uh, damn it, if it didn't follow that exact thing to a T. I mean, I didn't I didn't survey the entire issues or anything, but for the pages I paid attention to, the first panel, in many cases, was an establishing shot. And then you'd have a lot of close-ups of faces, or you'd have action with no background at all, just a color. And so it was really interesting to see that after you had said it, right? Because again, it's just not something I think about. Like you talk about with writing stuff, it just it's, doesn't register. It's not something you've ever thought about. So it is interesting to see that. And it particularly caught my attention when I was reading Time Before Time, which by the way, really cool book. Yeah, I, excellent I definitely book. recommend you check it. It gets, it gets thumbs up from both Scott and I. Really cool, really fun. Mm-hmm. Very good book. Uh, Declan Shalvey, I believe, uh, writes that book. Yeah. Um, and, okay, so yeah, backgrounds and uh, yeah, I would say I would say that's all I have written down as far as my notes when it comes to uh, the art side of it is balancing your characters, camera direction, uh, panel size, and uh, background detail. Uh, what was the thing you had? Like you you had mentioned something about you got something on the art end and you're wondering if I was going to hit it. Yeah, I had two. I had light and dark. That was my question okay. for you on that. Oh, so um, you, is that more like uh, spotting blacks, like like shadow yeah. and such? Okay. Or, or or just generally, like, is there a balance between light and dark? I mean, I'm sure you could do an entire dark book, but it would get murky, right? And you could do an entire light book and talk like light colors or white if we're talking about a black and white book. Like, is that something that gets paid attention to as well? Just the balance of light and dark or black and white on, on a page? I'd say that's artistic choice. So if you have a guy like Joshua Middleton um, or J. Scott Campbell, you're going to get a lot of open line. Like it's just the, you know, just, yeah, it's just open line artwork. Whereas if you see Mike Mignola, you'll have ton of spotting blacks like Mike Mignola, tons of shadows everywhere. Um, he relies on them, but just composition wise, like it's like he has amazing composition and he heavily relies on that. If you have a book that's in black and white, it's heavily encouraged to use lots of shadow, you know, spot a ton of blacks on there. It's more easy or more interesting to look at like visually without color. But like, if you have a guy like, again, like Joshua Middleton or J Scott Campbell, uh, the colorist is doing a lot of, a lot of the work there uh, in the sense that, He's providing the shadow, the light, you know, the special effects and such. I have a very similar style as well. I spot blacks uh, here and there, but not to the amount that a guy like, you know, Mike Mignola, Jim Lee, like Jim Lee spots for someone, you know, who I base my style off of. Like my style is more of a combination of him, J. Scott Campbell, you know, like Ryan Otley, guys like that. Oh, Otley as well. He's a guy that doesn't spot a lot of blacks in his work. Um, some, but not a ton. Same with Campbell. Like there, there's always some, but um, mm-hmm. 
primarily the uh, the art right. style works better with color as opposed to guys you know of the caliber of Jim Lee, Mike Mignola, where you can put them in black and white and it's just amazing to look at all on its own. And um, um, yeah, so that that's what I would say when it comes to that question. What is open line and what is spotted blacks? I, I can you define those for me? Uh, basically a ton of shadow. So spotting blacks means uh, putting black through your composition. So it's another element of drawing that one could and should do. Uh, I, now, should is, is not the right word because obviously there's artists that I've named that don't do it and they're amazing. They're at the top of the top of the heap. You know, they're huge praise and, you know, huge influence on many an artist. So it's all personal preference. So, but yeah, it is, it is using a lot of shadow work and um, using that shadow work in the same way where I talk about using directional devices in your art. You know, like having an arm point down um, or to the right or something like that. You're directing the viewer without them knowing, hey, look over this way. We're going to move your eye to this next panel. Um, mm -hmm. Those are directional devices. So when you spot blacks, that can also be incorporated as directional devices. Nice. Okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. And then open line is more where um, it's like single line drawings where it's just like a face. There's no shadow. There's no shadow under the nose or anything like that. You look at it. It's just like, yeah, there's just, it's lack of a lack of black fill um, in certain okay. areas. Okay. Yeah. The other thing that I was good. So that, thank you for that. That was helpful. Um, the other thing is that I was going to say negative space and space but in a lot of ways, that has that's the same thing. It's it's just a different way of saying the same thing. Negative space and space. Um, so for me, what's interesting about my writing observations as I wrote down for me, the balance was always something versus something, right? Because there are a lot of um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, let's just go with like just just dual opposing opposing things that need to be combined to make a comic good. And what was interesting was the three things that I think I can summarize this with are all on different sides of the ledger, right? So I'm going to basically say the first thing and the second thing, and they're all going to be paired in the same way. So the first thing I wrote was action and plot in terms of writing, right? We're talking about, a, we're talking about an issue now. So when I think of writing, I don't necessarily think of a page balance. And I think that's something that artists have to think about. Artists have to think about a page balance because even if we, even if the writer gives you, or if you're writing it yourself and, and you have all of one thing or all of another, like, let's say you have an entire action page on the writing side, you can make the argument. There's not a lot of balance there because again, as a writer, I'm looking to balance the issue itself. But artists need to do that balance on the page. And what Scott has just gone through is at least five or six different axes on which to gauge that balance. And so when people are out there making pages, when you artists are out there making pages, everything is a balance. You know, it's like, uh, you know, those levels they sell at like hardware stores, right? You're, you're balancing so many axes and you want to try to get somewhere in the middle so it doesn't dip too far one way or the other. Um, but when I, when I think, I think in overall issue terms, um, single issue comic terms. So action and plot, that's the first one, the yin and the yang, you know, the, the, the battling uh, dual sides. Then the second angle I had was movement and dialogue, which again is really action and plot action, plot, movement, dialogue. And then the third thing is fast and slow. And 
So for me, it really all just comes down to this action versus plot dynamic, which is movement versus dialogue, which is fast versus slow. You know, um, I actually just read two by by chance. I pulled two books from my, from the stack and read them back to back, and both of them were wordless books. Ooh, boy, do I have a I I have a strong opinion on wordless books, um, and and. The strong opinion comes from the fact that they read fast. If you buy a wordless book that's just speaking with action, you can even try to slow down. And it's still going to take you like four minutes to read a comic. Max, max, even if you're slowing down. So something that I am very aware of through every comic that I write is the idea of of just wanting to make sure that the reader is slowing down. Um and even in Three Protectors, like when we got into the end of this final seventh revision, there were a couple little sub-revisions at the end there where the book was essentially done. You know, like Mike had blessed it, everything was ready to go, and I didn't like it. And I didn't like it because there was cool action that I don't think the reader would have taken enough time to appreciate. So how can you make the reader appreciate it? You can put some dialogue there. You can put a sound effect there. You can put people speaking in overdub there, whatever you're going to do, just something to slow that reader's eye down so the reader does not absolutely race through the action that you or your, you as an artist or your artist has taken so much time to do. So, you know, you want your fast pages and you want your slow pages. Dialogue is generally going to be the thing that takes longer. Um, I am of the opinion, you know, this is a very modern opinion, I think, that you kind of want one or the other. You don't want action with a lot of dialogue or a lot of interiority. You just want action and then you want dialogue and things like that, right? And we've talked about where there's two examples of where that can go bad each way, right? Like action without dialogue results in a super fast read, which I am against. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It means I'm against it. Um, you know, no, no judgment on whether it's right or wrong. I can just say that I'm not a fan. Um, and then... The other, the thing you don't want at the other end is something that we've talked about a fair amount in our first, you know, huge chunk of episodes here, which is talking heads, where the dialogue does too much and the art isn't doing the heavy lifting. So it really is about making that balance happen on many levels and just having this balance of action and plot. And again, trying to get them both to the middle, you know, that's as a writer, when there's a lot of action, the goal is to slow that action down. And when there's a lot of plot, the goal is to speed that up a little bit or at least make it interesting. Or if, if you can't speed it up, it should be interesting anyway. So let's just assume that. But if you can't speed it up, then what you at least want to do is you want to make sure the art is doing the heavy lifting like we talked about on Talking Heads pages before. So that's the kind of balance that I'm looking for. And it's the kind of balance that I suggest to people out there who are, you know, looking at writing or just editing their stuff or, you know, whatever, to make sure that that balance is there. And and what I was going to say is, you know, you read these old comics from the 70s, there is a shitload of interiority through the action. And that's something that's very, very 70s and maybe early 80s in terms of comics where... You know, you'd have this Spider-Man dodges out of the way and the, and the web slingers, you know, sling takes a falling boulder. And to quote you from a previous episode, no shit, asshole. I'm looking at it. Yeah, that was a very good Stan Lee, by the way. I was very impressed with that. 
Yeah, that was off the dome too. Um, <laughs> you read a lot of Fantastic Four, so. <laughs> I am a, a, yeah, I mean, basically my favorite superhero book, so it would make sense that some of that would rub off. But that's that's something we just don't do anymore, you know, and we don't do it because we feel like it's double work. And there's no reason to put the reader through that, you know. I think you could definitely make the argument that comics, modern comics, um, are trying to speak to a higher intelligence of reader, you know, and, and that in the 70s and 80s, or, or even earlier, 40s, 50s, 60s, there was this assumption that comics were kid stuff. And then, of course, in the 50s, that it was gen- degenerates and criminals. Thank you, Seduction of the Innocent. <laughs> you know, but um, but anyway, but that yeah, that that was all bullshit, of course. But um, but I do think that there has been a general increase on the comic creation side in really speaking to the higher intelligence of the comic reader and understanding that if you're drawing action on a page, you really don't need to explain it at the same time. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I had written down for uh, story was the amount of action on a page or the amount of action in the book and character development. Um, and also the amount of dialogue. So, and that's, that's something I had already talked about with the lettering. Um, so yeah, so you hit that on the head there and that it, I was thinking back to, you know, my own books with Ed, you know, like the amount of action per book and character development and the character development is, is something that, that brings the reader forward through the story and makes them care about the characters at all. You know, that's something I loved about the X-Men reading the X-Men over the years was there was so much drama all the time. You really got to know the characters, what was going on at the Xavier Institute. You know, you, you really cared about the characters and then you throw them into the battle. So that's kind of like the, uh, formula that I feel like me and Ed use, you know, and I don't know that it's intentional. You know, Ed has his own, has his own influences, you know, he's, he's around your age. So where he liked, um, you know, fantastic four, but more so like power man, iron fist, like that's, that's his stuff. That's his, that's his, uh, you know, comic book love, you know, for me, it's, it's the X-Men. So I get that. I get that formula from reading those books, you know, the Claremont stuff and, and later, and, um, you know, like Ed is able to translate that, you know, he knows exactly what I'm looking for. And um, he translated very well into the book. So you get this nice balance between learning about the characters and then just kicking a bunch of ass and using some powers. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about development, too, is it it happens nonstop. I mean, it keeps on happening. I mean, look at the X-Men. Now they've developed to the point. Where- <laughs> of course, I'm, I edited yeah. that out. I'm not stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but so good. Yeah, anyway, um, but but the other thing I, I wrote down here was that if the character, you know, like, actually, you bring up a great point with character, and very true to brand for me is that I forgot about character, <laughs> because I have shared that, like, my weak point is character. I'm so shitty at it, because I get so obsessed at plot, but... Character is is super important, and that's also something that may not be a balanced thing, but is something that should be considered for every issue. Because if the character doesn't develop, then what is the point? At its simplest, stories are about people changing, and uh, and if so, if there's no development in a story, then that should be a bit of a red flag. Mm-hmm. You know, like like again, if there if the character doesn't change, what is the point of the story? Because stories in and of themselves should be, I mean, this, this goes into more novel stuff than comic stuff, but comics, I think it still applies just on a smaller, more granular level. If, if, a, if the protagonist in a movie 
or the protagonist in a novel or the protagonist in a comic is not having an arc from the beginning to the st- of the story to the end of the story, then you're not telling the right story. You know, like the thing about a novel generally is a novel should be a representation of these characters' most important points in their life as a character arc happens. And while that doesn't necessarily like carry as much weight in, in a comic book, say, it's still, it, it doesn't carry zero weight either. It's still something that needs to be considered. Again, comic books are not necessarily the most monumental portion of a person's life because comic books can go on forever. And, you know, you can think it's the most monumental portion of a, I mean, success kind of dictates the length of the comics on time. You know, for all I know, Kirby and, and Lee worked on the first 10 issues of X-Men were like, yeah, man, this is the most important part of their lives. And then Marvel was like, oh, we want more. And then, like, oh, okay, well, we need more important parts of their lives. <laughs> and so on and so on and so on. And now, you know, 800 issues total or whatever, we're still viewing those important moments. So again, it doesn't have to be this huge th- thing that novels and movies should be, but it does need to have some bit of development and some bit of character in it. Otherwise, why care? Um, so we've reached we've reached nonsense. We've reached nonsense. Dare dare I dare I say the thing I'm about to say right now? Yes. I, I think the Lakers lost by 700 just now. <laughs> Probably. They're so <laughs> terrible. Uh, they're they're just god awful. I've stuck they're to just... my decree that I will. I have not watched a Lakers game since I said I would. I was done. I'm done. It's I surreal, watched... dude. Yeah, man. It's it, garbage. It, it, it's. Uh, Dude, as as your friend, it's surreal. It's just surreal. You guys are tied for the fucking number 10 slash 11 seed right now, mm-hmm. which is insane. This episode won't air for a while, so who knows how well that'll age, but the Lakers aren't suddenly going to turn into title contenders, I can tell you that. No, it's definitely, yeah. they're definitely not. It's going to age very well. They're going to be in the exact same spot, if not further down, by the time... You know, this episode airs and it's fine. It's I'd rather not see them in the playoffs at all because they're just going to get smoked. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like you're going to get smoked by the Suns in the first round. It's going to be a repeat yeah. of last year. Um, hopefully we just move Westbrook in the offseason, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, oh, I also think that this is the Suns. This is the Suns world and we're just living in it. You think so? Overall? I do, dude. I mean, now I've just watched the Sixers lose back to back close games against title contenders. Okay. So they lost to the Suns. They were tied they were down two to the Suns with maybe four minutes left the other night and lost. And then they just lost before we recorded here. I think they were down, you know, they was they lost by two. Was that like was it to the Bucks? The Bucks. Okay. The Bucks. Yeah, I just saw a clip where Giannis went from basically half court, just just juke someone real quick and then dunked it. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Giannis had an amazing game-saving block at the end where like so here's what happened he he blocked an Embiid layup he blocked an Embiid put back and it was a ridiculous block dude it was so close that it was actually called a goaltend but then the replay showed that like he timed it perfect and he actually pinned it against the backboard as opposed to waiting for it to hit the backboard mm-hmm. but the bigger problem there is that block shot was off a rebound Embiid got from an atrocious James Harden miss from three point range. And I I was telling um, some of my friends this a day or two ago, I'm off believing that the Sixers can win the title. Um, It was always a fleeting thing anyway, but, but the thing that I now see is, 
And I, I didn't look up Harden's stats from tonight. But I know that when he played Brooklyn, he was awful. Mm-hmm. And I know that when he played Phoenix the other day, he was awful. And unfortunately for the Sixers, you don't get to play the Detroit Pistons in the playoffs. You know, <laughs> yeah. so so he's Harden, got this weird stage fright, man, and he's had it his entire yeah. career back when he was in yeah. OKC, um, yep. being the sixth man. You know, like an amazing sixth man. But uh, he had it back then, and and you know the excuse was like, well, he's young, he's he needs to learn. You know, to be in the playoffs, it's all about experience. And then you know they go to the finals. It's the same thing there. You know, him, Durant, and Russ go to the finals. They get smoked. Um, and uh, didn't he suck in that finals too? Wasn't yeah. he specifically terrible in he's that awful. finals against the Heat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's horrible. only had one season where he hasn't sucked in in playoffs. I think it's only been one one playoff season where he yeah it was, it was that Houston season where Chris Paul went down with the injury otherwise yeah. they would have beat Golden State yeah that's it you know but, that was the one. but Chris Paul getting injured was a thing for like twelve years you know so you could you could kind of time your your annual calendar on Chris Paul getting hurt in the playoffs unfortunately yeah um, oh comic related let me let me get to comic related stuff yeah um, go for it dude so I ended up buying something even though I just said I'm I'm done. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, I forgot the issue number. It's uh superior Spider-Man's first appearance. So something had popped up. I have been following it on eBay. I have two copies, no, three copies of it already because I had won an auction where I get the first and second printing. It's daredevil 21. It's the first appearance of superior Spider-Man. And there was an auction for first and second printing of it. I want it for 35 bucks, uh, $4 shipping. That's good. Yeah, so 40 bucks. Yeah. So it's like $20 an issue. I saw one today. It was for 25 with a uh, best offer. And we went back and forth, and I ended up getting it for 21 bucks. Nice. Yeah, so I now have four copies of the first appearance of Superior Spider-Man. So now I am officially done with that one. I'm taking it off my watch list. It doesn't need to be there anymore. That's more than enough. Um, Any more is just abusive <laughs> so. i know i dude i finally put all of my iron fist number ones and Swordmaster number ones together and i was like wow <laughs> look at what i done did a way more iron i think i have th- i ended up getting three Swordmaster number ones oh okay but but i have like like m- more than that okay. more than that of iron of the new iron fist number one i have quite a fucking few <laughs> so what are you gonna do yeah man it's do? it's it's tough to let them in like i finally unchecked the uh, tmnt hardcovers i'm like i got the whole set i don't need to watch them anymore and um so yeah so like there's just only a few things i have on ebay that i'm still watching and yeah. and it's just like I'm, I'm trying to pare them down as much as i can so you know we'll see yeah. hey man and well that i mean for me I'm not watching shit, you know. Oh, that's um, actually good. after after we last hung out, you know, when I was down there in San Diego, I then went to Nowhere Comics and Games, which is a super cool spot. In fact, I missed Death by five minutes. Oh yeah. no way! I missed Death by five minutes. Yeah, Death was ended was going in there to do some stuff for them. Oh, it was and an anyway, auction. He was there for an auction, right? I think he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it bummed me because uh, it was like it was weird because the because um, Matthias was like, oh, yeah, death's coming in because because he had mentioned like, yeah, we got this guy coming in, this local guy, death. And I was like and then I told him I not only know death, you know, I, I, I just recorded a podcast with his buddy Scott. and He's like, oh, we know Scott, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, yeah, man, San Diego comic stores are, are awesome. 
But um, when I was there, I ended up talking to, I think it was Jacob, the guy that was there, and uh, he recommended some books, and they were very different, and so I bought them, and they're in my to-read pile, and uh, hopefully I like them, because... I don't know, man. There's something about that comic fan in me where there's few things as exciting as having a person recommending a book to you that that you actually think you're going to like. And uh, and so I've got them right here. And if they're good, I'll let you know, Um, because I don't want to recommend them if they suck yet. I haven't read them. Um, They're pretty readily available, Um, but they were they were different. They're different than the way I usually think. So, hey, man, maybe they will be good. So I'm I'm excited for that. Um, But. So for me, you know, you said your next chunk of weekends are busy. Dude, my next chunk of weekends are busy. So as we go forward here, my next few weekends are first, which is long gone by the time uh, this airs. WonderCon is this weekend. So I will be prepping for WonderCon and actually setting up a couple nights from now so that I can be ready for the weekend. So that's coming up. And then the weekend after that, I am taking a trip to Houston just to go visit my old high school stomping grounds and uh, see a few friends and visit a few comic shops. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to be in Vegas again and I'm going to hit some comic shops again. So I'm I'm not necessarily saying I'm saving my money. It's just that I don't want anything. And my current spending thing is basically I'm just checking out a whole bunch of new books and trying stuff. Uh, I think I, I mean, I've, I've tried a few, you know, I bought some over the last week and a couple of them were really good, like time before time. And a couple of them were just, were just God awful. And, uh, and I, I'm sad that I bought one of them, but, uh, you know, you can't take them back, unfortunately. Right. So I'll I'll send you my revised list because you're going to new areas and they might have the books that I'm needing. Um, and a lot of yeah, them are the current ones, like Time Before Time, Radiant Black. So, yeah, if you got some time while you're at those co- comic shops, if you can look for those, that would be cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know the deal. Just just keep, give me give me like three books to look for or something like that, and I'll I'll definitely hit the bins for them. Oh, yeah. Um, three or four, and then I can I can go from there. But um, especially I can't remember if, if I you, gave if you're you giving me... the lists of comic shops to hit while you're in Las Vegas. Did I give those to you? you? Not not yet, but that's still a few weeks away, so you okay. don't need to rush on that if you don't. Okay, know. cool. Yeah, I had done a video on my YouTube channel a while back because I took the road trip through um, Arizona, or no, no. Well, yeah, we did an Arizona trip. That was that was the failed Utah that became Las Utah Vegas. to Las Vegas. Yes, and then there were just killer shops there, and uh, two of them I can't recommend no- enough. Death actually recommended one of them to me, and that was super badass. They had tons of back issue stuff. They had dollar bins. So I got to do pretty much everything I wanted to do there. I found some back issue stuff I needed and then dollar bin stuff that I had never seen before or was like, Hell oh, yeah. crap, they have this in the dollar bin. So looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, man. Again, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm in that spot. You know, again, it, it's kind of a back and forth, right? Like sometimes I'll get in a midtown mood where I just want to mine current back issues and stare at them for a while. Yeah. Often I get in an eBay mood where it's like, here's the specific thing I want and I'm going to bid on it. And then other times like now, it's more about opening myself up to the universe and just visiting shops and seeing what I come across in the bins that looks interesting and just grabbing those things. Yeah. And uh, that's what these next couple of weeks are going to involve. So, uh, so yeah, here's hoping. Yeah, man. Um, Sounds good. All right. So, so yeah, given, I, I think we've, we've done our thing or to quote the Jungle Brothers have done our dang. <laughs> 
So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is me posting all kinds of comic stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was me posting three protector stuff for about three weeks, but now I get back in, get to be, get back into a normal rotation. Um, that's me doing things. That's Invader books. That's the comics and projects I'm working on and places I am. And then there is at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. That is exclusively giant monster stuff. I post less there, but it's still got some giant monster goodness now and again. So uh, follow me on both and you could find me uh at scott lost s-c-o-t-t-l-o-s-t on twitter and instagram and facebook.com forward slash scott lost yep as for websites uh it's keithrfoster.com i need to do some updates on that and put the cool three protectors videos and some art up there but uh, by the time this airs they should be up there so go check that out check out some blog posts check out some book reviews and there's also a store there so keithrfoster.com uh, and you can find my books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, and Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, Thousand Years in the Future, We Start Colonizing Other Planets and Come Across the Planet Melisanda, Where the Meteor Never Hit, and Dinosaurs of That World Survived and Evolved. So it's about two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that work? To quote Billy D. Williams, works every time, like Colt 45. Actually, it never works. It never works. Yeah. It never works. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts has a method of rating them. We strongly recommend that you do that. Um, you can give us five stars. You can give us some nice words. You can also rate us with ideally five stars on Spotify podcasts. That's just a rating, however, but every rating helps and we appreciate every single one of them. So if you get a minute or two and uh, you have time, please, please throw us a rating on either or both of those places. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas for episode topics that you want us to do, uh, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. So, uh, yeah, that's the place you do those things. If you want to know more about our books, like if our quick synopsis isn't good enough for you, then, uh, yeah, hit us up there. We could tell you a little bit more about our books, and then uh, hopefully you pick them up and all those good things, all that jazz. Yeah, and because, and because I did a garbage-ass job of talking about WonderCon, because now I'm talking about it and it's about to happen, but by the time the podcast airs, it's in the past. And what the fuck good does that do anybody, right? <laughs> so we should have did the add-on thing to the last episode that aired on Monday. But it's, uh, dude, I was so I was so neck deep in Kickstarter promo. These things just happen so close to each other. Yep. So don't you. you have San Diego Comic Fest coming up in a few weeks? I do. Um, it is. is the last week of April, I believe it is uh, the 22nd through 24th. So Okay. Let me double check that. Cut some dead air here. Dead air, dead air, dead air. Mancini's not going to sue us yet. Dead air, dead air. Dead air, dead air. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Okay, I was right. Yep. So, oh, actually, no, I wasn't right. So April 21st through 24th, um, if you're down in the San Diego area or pretty close to the San Diego area, come on down and it is very inexpensive to go. Uh, and it is, it's super cool. It's like a throwback convention. It focuses on comics. You know, it's, uh, you'll, you'll also have the panels. You get to talk to older creators that are there. I believe Dustin Wynn is going to be there this year. There oh, is yeah. a, a 
a few guests that are coming. Unfortunately, just off of their Instagram page, I don't see who is, but I know he was mentioned. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm looking forward to talking to him. Guys like Steve Rude uh, are usually there as well. He's a freaking legend. So um, super nice, easy to talk to. If you're interested in you know, connecting with some creators, getting to talk to them one-on-one -on -one without being rushed out of an area because you've been there too long. Um, you're able to sit down places, so it's not too crazy. It's a nice small convention, but there's plenty to do there. I suggest coming down San Diego Comic Fest uh, 21st through 24th. Rock on. And to quote Professor Griff, paraphrase actually, Professor Griff from Public Enemy, Phoenix, Arizona, you've been warned because Scott and I are going to be in Phoenix at whatever the hell that name is. What is it? Phoenix Fan Phoenix Fusion? Phoenix Fan Fusion. Yeah. They actually kept the same name twice. So so that's great. And that <laughs> Progress. is Memorial Memorial Day weekend. They did it. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> wow, look at us. We're actually gonna gonna use last year's t-shirts and everything. Um, so yeah, Phoenix Fan Fusion, Memorial Day weekend in Phoenix. Um, if you are in the area or you live inside of, oh, I don't know, 1,500 miles, take the drive. It's worth it. You'll get to hang with Scott and I. It'll be like your own Making Comics podcast. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> and we might be drunk. <laughs> We're not sure. We're not sure. We're... But that'll be just like Making Comics. We'll so see how okay. lax the security is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, my brother. Um, I'll see you next week. Yay, yay. Yay.